0: Hello and welcome to episode four of season two of The Artist's Creed. My name is Drew Miller. I am producer of the Rabbit Room Podcast Network and conversation partner to Steve Guthrie, our host. The name of this episode is Sounding, Resounding, and the Antiphonal Shape of the World. This episode is so much fun. We talk about Gerard Manley Hopkins's poem, As Kingfishers Catch Fire. Uh, His famous stone in roundy well analogy. We talk about how our voices are found in context, not in isolation. What the word antiphonal means um, and how the song Is He Worthy by Andrew Peterson actually plays into the definition of antiphony. And uh, even TikTok sea shanties come up, um, fan fiction, and what the word resonance means. So anyway... All of that's just like a little uh, teaser for what is to come, and I hope that you enjoy this conversation. It's fruitful for you. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome
1: to The Artist's Creed. I'm Steve Guthrie, and in this season of The Artist's Creed, we're thinking particularly about the Holy Spirit and working through the portion of the Nicene Creed that talks about the Holy Spirit thinking about the Holy Spirit as not only the breath of God, but the sound-bearing breath of God. There are a series of posts that I did for the Rabbit Room website, the Rabbit Room blog, where I talked about um, different portions of the Nicene Creed that have to do with the Holy Spirit. And so, um, in this conversation, we're going to be thinking about the portion that says, together with the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. That, um, Especially that little phrase about together with. Hmm. So, welcome to The Artist's Creed. I'm glad to have you with us for this conversation. I'm joined by my uh, witty and charming hmm. interlocutor, Drew Miller. Well, shucks.
0: Yeah. Thanks, Steve. Um. Yeah, thanks so much for doing this, and um, let's I, get started. Yeah, I guess I should say, too, the title of this post, if
1: you're looking for it on uh, the Rabbit Room website, is Sounding, Resounding, Sounding, Resounding, and the Antiphonal Character of Creation. Is that it?
0: The Antiphonal Shape of the World. The
1: Antiphonal Shape of the World. Uh, so
0: close. Yeah. Yes, no are. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. So, yeah, here we are. So part four, um, and I'm going to start just by asking about a really wonderful analogy that you used about a stone being thrown down a well, because I think that it cuts to the chase of what you're talking about with this, um, the meaning of, especially of that word together that you emphasized in the Nicene Creed. So um, the analogy goes that when you throw a stone down a well, and as we all do. Right, often. every day. Yeah, I, <laughs> of course. Um, you hear not only the sound of the stone itself as it kind of ricochets down the well, but you also hear the sound of that particular well. Um, and there's just a lot going on beyond just the sound of the stone as an individual stone. So you write, the sound of the stone is necessarily the sound of the stone in its environment. Yeah. We hear not just the voice of the stone, but the antiphony of the stone and all that surrounds it, yeah. And uh, so at first, like, just that feels like a benign observation, very self-evident, yeah. obvious, of course. But at heart, it not to me, seems... it feels <laughs> profound.
1: It feels <laughs> profound to me, Drew. <laughs>
0: We're going to demonstrate just how profound it is in the coming minutes. Yeah. So, sorry, finish your question. I interrupted you. <laughs> no, it's fine. So, um, really. The profundity is found in that it is a striking challenge to individualism. Yeah, as I heard it. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's a lot of what.
1: Um, there is a sentence in the post: "Sound only exists by resounding." Mm-hmm. Um, so, if you had to sum up the post in a sentence, that that does it pretty well. Um, and the stone analogy comes from a poem that I discuss in that post. Mm-hmm. And uh, the poem, I, I said this in the post as well. If you haven't read the poem, you really need to go read it. It's a wonderful yeah. poem Hopkins. by um, Gerard Manley Hopkins As Kingfishers Catch Fire, Dragonflies Draw Flame. And um, some of the lines from the poem are As tumbled over rim and roundy wells, stones ring, like each tucked string tells, each Hung bells bow swung, finds tongue to fling out broad its name. Each mortal thing does one thing and the same. Deals out that being, indoors each one dwells. So that's a lot to unpack, especially orally, <laughs> rather than looking at the words on the sheet. But uh, yeah, he's talking sure. about how um, each thing in the in creation, dealing out... That being that indoors dwells. so there is some essential drewness to you, you know, <laughs> that manifests itself in the world. So he yeah. talks about you know a stone and a string and a bell. Each of these has a name that it flings out into the world. Mm-hmm. And so how does the stone announce what it is? Well, it announces it as it falls down into a well. Yeah. Um, so, my part of the point that I wanted to make is that if we wanted to hear a stone in itself, if we wanted to hear a stone and nothing but the stone, we Couldn't we couldn't hear a stone as it were in a vacuum Mm -hmm. if you had any object in a perfect vacuum? Right. It can't sound. So every sounding is always a re sounding. So in other words, you know, I have this voice that's passing through my larynx right now, Mm -hmm. and so it's causing vibrations of my larynx, and then also. It is resonating in the cavity of my mouth, and then it's resonating with the air in the room, and what you're hearing, and of course, then if we were to extend that through all the medium of the microphone mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you know whatever program you're using to record us right now, mm-hmm. and that would multiply the complexity of that thing. But the point is, what you're hearing is not just my voice or my breath, but all of those things in concert.
0: Right. Yeah. So sound always happens in context. Yeah. And I think that's kind of like what um, I took to be that threat to individualism. um, Totally. As a way of seeing identity and um, what it means to be a person. Yeah. Because just as we're trying to find the voice of the stone in itself, like its essence, um, I hear you saying that the essence of this stone's voice Is best found not in isolation but in context, and absolutely that and that context actually informs that essential voice of the stone, yeah. And that that's so contrary to um so much of of the the patterns of thinking around individualism and who I am, yeah. Um, if I'm to find that essential drewness that I bring to the world that you mentioned earlier, (laughs) yeah, I. Would probably do better to find that in community with others. Yeah. And surrounded by a place and a people than I would by going off by myself alone. Right. Right. I mean, there's certainly something to be had and to, to be discovered by going off alone, but I think even that discovery is dependent upon what you realize while alone about your life. Yeah. While not alone, totally in in reflection, you know. So, well,
1: and it's not just, I think everything you said is is absolutely right. And it's not just that you would be better able to discover your own voice um, in community and in place, that there is no way for you to have a voice either at the Mm. literal physical level. Or at the more kind of metaphorical level, apart from place yeah. and apart from community. So even the words that we're speaking right now are words that are mediated to us by our culture. Mm-hmm. I'm not creating each word that I'm saying to you, yeah. you know, out of thin air. But those words have been given to me by my culture and by my predecessors who spoke the English language. Mm -hmm. by my parents who taught me to speak in certain ways, um, by the part of the country where I grew up that shapes my accent and inflection and so on. Mm -hmm. So it's more the case that um, it's recognizing the way in which our voice is always... sounding off of other voices and the way in which our voice always includes other voices, mm-hmm. you know?
0: Yeah. I think this would be a good place to just acknowledge that word antithetical. It's yeah. not a word that I use every day.
1: Why not,
0: Drew? <laughs> <laughs> I need to reevaluate my decisions around that. Yeah. Um, but you, you've used the word resounding yeah. a lot, so far and there's certainly a lot of overlap between that and antiphonal but it's probably worth just exploring that word as well I wrote down um, around this kind of subject matter how we would begin to articulate an antiphonal paradigm of identity rather than an individualistic one right and I think we're starting to get into that territory well
1: yeah let's actually just um, give a a definition of of the word for those who, like you, sadly don't don't use the word, you know, on a daily basis. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, none of us do, and um, it just means. I mean, and you can take the parts of, apart. Anti, kind of, um, to opposing, fawn voice. Um, so, it. I began the um, the post that I wrote by talking about our dear, uh, our beloved Andrew Peterson's, Is He Worthy? Mm -hmm. Um, So, uh, gosh, (laughs) help me out. What's the first line? Do Uh, you
0: remember all the lyrics? I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Do I remember all the lyrics?
1: (laughs) He doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Um, but that's going to get me kicked off the rabbit room board for sure. That I, I don't have... Hope I do you not have your the time lyrics with us. <laughs> "Is He Worthy?" Yeah, tattooed anywhere on my person. But that's a great example of an antiphonal song, where the leader calls out something and the congregation responds. And the thing is, we we don't have a lot of antiphonal songs in kind of Christian hymnody right now. Right. But traditionally, that was a very uh, important. Uh, form of Christian song right it was antiphonal singing it might be the the leader and the congregation or it might be dividing the congregation into two parts right. but where you would sing to one another and it extends back even into the Old Testament so one of the examples I give is um, Psalm 136 mm. where they go through the history of Israel and each time the chorus responds, His love endures forever. And the leader says, um, who killed Og, king of Bashan, or whatever, right? And his love endures forever. His love endures forever. Who separated the Red Sea, his love endures forever. Who led them across as on dry ground, his love endures forever. So that's antiphonal song, is that back and forth.
0: And that's so interesting because I think, like you said, a lot of our worship today is not antiphonal at all and is maybe more informed by kind of a performance driven, um, the person singing is on the stage. And if you're attending worshiping, you are not on the stage, you are watching the person on right, the stage right, right. and that doesn't lend itself very much to antiphonal, um, an antiphonal style of, of worship. Yeah. i um, kind of, just shows the sort of climate that we're in. It's true. Well, when you say the kind of climate that we're in,
1: um, one of the things that antiphonal singing models is there's a time for me to use my voice and there's a time for me to be quiet. Hmm. Those two alternate, you know? I mean, it's a a conversational, dialogical form of song. It's a back and forthing kind of thing, you know? Yeah.
0: And it's one reason why the song Is He Worthy is so refreshing and mm. um and I think why it's just captured the imaginations of so many people is yeah. because it's so rare and yeah. such a breath of fresh air to be yeah. able to know when to use my voice and yeah um and participating in truth telling and uh and singing together. Absolutely. That's beautiful. Well, and so
1: then just to extend that discussion of the word antiphonal, Hmm. um, the title was meant to indicate that I think there is something antiphonal to God's way of um, engaging with the created world. Yeah. So, um, God speaks and then invites creation to respond, that there Mm -hmm. is this sounding forth and inviting a response, Mm -hmm. um, which is God's way with the world. But then it's as if God has then built that into the structure of our interactions with one another, even, I mean, maybe this is overstretching the thing, but built it even into kind of the, 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 Aural character, the character of acoustics, you know, that, oh, yeah, that every, that no one at, again, at a very literal, um, physical, acoustical level, you cannot sound alone, right? (laughs) You
0: know, right. That's wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, so you ask a couple questions Mm. about. More of the the question of how to intentionally um, resound in a way that makes the sounding of others possible, right? So you ask, Mm. what sorts of resounding does my sounding make possible? Can I exercise my voice in ways that very intentionally give rise to Mm. antiphonal responses from those around me? And that led me down this path of just wondering, being curious about if there are any works of art or cultural artifacts that pop into your head, whether they're musical or not. They don't actually have to be, you know, sonic, acoustic things um, that embody those questions in their form that set out to do just that as a piece of art or as an artifact. So a couple examples that I thought of just to kind of like... (laughs) <laughs> get the get the conversation flowing. Yeah, is uh, improvisational jazz. Yeah, it's pretty antiphonal by nature. Pretty yeah. spontaneous. Yeah. More recently, TikTok sh- uh, sea shanties. Yes. Are you aware of this phenomenon? Uh you know only vaguely. You know, I mean, the
1: kids tell me about it. You know, sure. You you kids over at the Rabbit Room, I I follow some of your excitement uh, yes. about the. Um. There was a flurry of kind of. Uh, sea shanty references going around a couple weeks ago on the there was on the um, the text thread
0: so yeah i mean because they were just so cool yeah i mean i don't even have tiktok but like i've seen some of those clips and um it's very antiphonal you know and um and even the sea shanty itself i think it's worth saying is an antiphonal form um very call and response oriented and then i even thought like more broadly this is less literal but Fan fiction and um, just meme culture in general, which feels kind of tied to yeah. this um, sea shanty thing, um, is very antiphonal and and these uh, these forms kind of got me thinking about how this antiphony is even possible, and ways in which we've made it possible in an isolated year
1: yeah. of life.
0: Um, through the internet, <laughs> you know? yeah, there are ways of calling and responding, of kind of like continuing a conversation, of um, innovating on a structure, on a form, right, um, back and forth continuously. That uh, that we find ways of of doing that. Um,
1: yeah, it is interesting to think about that. With, um, I mean, again, especially with TikTok and the Sea Shanty thing, where it's another person riffing off of what the last person did. And so I'm going to take your thing and add a part to it and Mm -hmm. add harmonies to it and add a drum beat to it or a string quartet to it or whatever. Mm -hmm. I, that does feel kind of like the same thing. It also doesn't. And I can't quite, part of it is, I mean, and maybe it has to do just with intention where, um, it's not so much here as a back and forth so much as here's how I can take that thing that you did Hmm. and use it as a platform for me. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. No, and that's Um,
0: totally, it feels like that's inherent in the virtual space. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a very, very different thing to be playing music with someone in a room together and be creating this whole experience that's greater than the parts involved. It's very different to do something like that than it is to um, kind of cut and paste sure. a sample of right. sorts yeah. into your own song, which is kind of the <laughs> postmodern, <laughs> right? Um, and Tiffany, it, and yeah, it's it's wrong to equate the two. Well, but and I'm also, but I'm also curious, like what what transfers over and what doesn't? And no, I think it's
1: a great analogy, and it's just like you know. Um, there, There is something good to that. Yeah. You know, there is. So, I think you do see in that kind of meme culture, mm-hmm. something of that impulse that God has built into our world that we want to answer others and yeah. con- converse with others. But just like, you know, so, like everything else in the world, there is something good to it because yeah. God made it. And like everything else in the world, <laughs> there's something damaged to it, you know? Yes. Um the first actually you said what pops into my head. The first thing yeah, that popped into it. my head was actually less good than your examples. But <laughs> it's a very vivid image to me. Have you ever um, found the resonant spot in a room? You know what I mean? Like oh, you're walking around and like you realize, whoa, if I stand right here, all of a sudden my voice is like ah 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 you know, like all of a sudden my the whole room vibrates. If I sing a G while I'm standing here, the whole room rings. If I sing an E while I'm standing there, it doesn't. Or if I move two feet forward, it doesn't. Actually, the best example
0: of that that I know is a gazebo on Belmont's campus. Have you done that? No. It's it's one of the, I don't know if, I mean, I don't, I can't really explain which one, but there's one where if you, I think it's, if you stand perfectly like to one side of it at the very edge of like the structure anything you say just has this crazy echo to it. Yeah.
1: Um, And so to me, that's that's the first image that comes to mind in connection with this whole conversation is, when I stand in that spot, everything that I say is amplifying the space Hmm. and the space is amplifying everything that I say, that we continue to sound off each other and, um, it's almost, I mean, again, to, you know, go overboard with the language, you know, like the, the space is giving glory to me and I'm giving glory to the
0: space. Yeah, that's laying the groundwork perfectly you know, for part five of yeah. this season of the Artist creed, actually. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah totally.
1: <laughs> um, Mako Fujimura mm-hmm. um, often talks about generativity mm-hmm. in the arts. And I think that's this, a similar sort of idea to what I'm talking about. So what Absolutely. would it mean not just to create, but to nurture creativity? Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, one thing that comes to mind as well as I'm thinking about it is um, the Supper and Songs. Oh, yeah. series that you did that, you know, the <laughs> yeah. idea was not just, hey, we're going... Why don't you come and listen to us right mm-hmm. so and you should probably I'll give you actually so what what is supper and songs drew? what was yeah, that? It was a
0: few years ago when I was still part of this band, the orchardist that that uh that I did before doing solo music, and we um as our name implied, uh we were yeah. all about the food music analogies, and so we decided to just do like this um concert series called Supper and Songs that was very simple and based around, okay, we're going to sell only the amount of tickets that would be able to carry on a sustained conversation around a table Hmm. (laughs) or around a few tables, Uh you know, I mean, I think there were maybe like 50 people at one of them. And then we decided to actually scale down because there Uh are too many people for that generative, you know, quality to be able to happen. So we just ate dinner together, provided dinner for everyone, and then played some songs, and let that be a more conversational format rather than just performative. yeah, so you know people could just pipe in and ask questions and um, and it was very fun, yeah, it was, it was very relational
1: exactly. Nature. I mean, I feel that like that's really rich, so not so there's I mean and it didn't necessarily I mean maybe it did, but it didn't necessarily change like the kind of chords you were, structures you were writing (laughs) or something, but thinking about can we do something other than we're going to play some songs you come sit there and listen while we do that you know, but Mm -hmm. um, what are ways in which we can present our music um, to the, toward the end toward the goal of fostering further conversation. Right. We're going to say something, and then we want you to say something. Yeah. And I'll give you one other thing while I'm like, um, oh, not promoing. What do they call it when you? Uh,
0: Shameless self Plug. That's plugging. it. Well, yeah. I'm
1: plugging everything yeah. Rabbit Room related. You know, the first time I went to hear um, Andrew Peterson mm-hmm. in concert, um, I went to hear the... Uh, Christmas, is that Behold the Lamb? Yeah,
0: Behold the Lamb of God. So,
1: um, and that was the big thing that Julie and I took away, my wife and I took away as we were going home and talking about it was, wow, here was a guy who set up this whole evening as a conversation where there are like eight or ten different artists on the stage. And it's kind of like, hi, I'm Andrew. I'm going to sing a song. Also, here's my friend. Yeah. You know, that, uh, you know, Ben, and I'd like you to, he has this song. And Ben, could you tell us about this? And Ben right. does a song. And then, yeah, and I've got this other friend, David, and he's going to do a song. and mm-hmm. And they were talking amongst themselves. And so it was very clearly modeling this kind of dialogical, interactive, there's time for each of us to talk and a time for each of us to listen kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know? So I think that's another very practical example of, Right. you know, a different way of doing, uh, doing your
0: art. Yeah. Yeah. And I even think like just a very simple example of at any concert when it's, um, when there's an encore, uh, mm. I think part of what makes an encore so special is that it is necessarily <laughs> kind of a reaction to, I mean, it's, it's very, like everybody knows what to do when the artist goes off stage, you just clap until they come back. But you are getting them to come back on stage yeah, you know that's yeah. a sort of conversational <laughs> no, moment that's, that's a great example and even like if a if an artist has a set list and then opens up to the audience yeah. by saying like you know i was going to play this song but actually like i'm feeling like i should play this one instead yeah that's such an exciting moment as an audience member because or i'm just going to venture to say that one reason it's exciting is that you get the sense that your presence and whatever energy you are contributing to that uh, space has actually influenced the decision of, of your beloved artist as to what song to play. Absolutely. And and that's kind of the specialness of of live music. Yeah. When you say that, it reminds me one of the best shows I ever went
1: to was um, Los Lobos. Hmm. You ever you know Los Lobos by any chance? Uh, vaguely. It's, it's Spanish. It means the Lobos. Um, and that was a joke. It's right. <laughs> Los. Yeah. Um, but they, it was a great show. They played for like a, an hour, an hour and a half. And then yeah. I don't know what if this was part of the plan, but they said, was there anything you guys want to hear? Yeah, you know, and people started shouting out songs from their catalog, sure. and then somebody shouted out, "I can't even remember what it was, like a Chuck Berry song or something." <laughs> and they played. I mean, it was something they were like, "Oh, yeah, we let's do Maybe that in G." It. You yeah, know, know. And, and then somebody shouted out, "Play the blues, I did the blues." <laughs> you know, it's just, <laughs> it, you know, then yeah. even though it was there up on stage and we're out here, there was this sense of here is this conversational thing that, that's happening. You know, totally. Yeah.
0: yeah. And I think you use the word resonance. And I think that's a really good place to land this conversation because it reminded me um, of this interview I got to do recently with Carolyn Ahrens. Um, Mm. She's a fantastic songwriter Mm -hmm. um, and was our Hutchmoot keynote speaker at our Mm -hmm. last physical Hutchmoot gathering in 2019. Um, So anyway, um, we were talking about her new record and she mentioned this occurrence of grammar policing that she yeah. encountered on the internet that bothered her so much. She said that some people were arguing that grammatically, it only makes sense to say that a movie or song or book resonated with you, not that you resonated with it. Yeah. And it led to an exchange where she and I just affirmed the <laughs> truth of our ability to resonate. Like, it's it's what it means to be human that we resonate with yeah. You know, it's not just that things can resonate with us and so um and I do I think that that word resonate has kind of increased in usage lately. Mm. And um I'm just curious like how literally you think that we can use the word resonate mm. and and what that means about I mean it's it's kind of implying this analogy of the human body as an instrument.
1: Yeah. Resounding.
0: Um, and and we're going to get into that. Um, analogy in part five as well, but, um, but just to kind of lay the groundwork for that as humans, as resonating um, beings. Gosh, how seriously do I
1: take that? I think it is true theologically that God speaks and we are spoken into life. We resonate with God's creative word. Mm-hmm. And not only do we, we don't just resonate passively, but God breathes into us. We've talked about this on a previous podcast, um, you know, to breathe, to take in air. You know, so God breathes into us, which necessarily means that we are then going to breathe out and right. as we do, make sound. So God creates us to resound. So I think it's true theologically. It's true acoustically Mm -hmm. and physically. I think it's true culturally Mm -hmm. that, um, and I talk one of the other sentences in this post that sums it up well, is that um, other voices are not a threat to my Mm. sounding, but the condition of my sounding. Yes. So I am only able to have a voice because my mom and dad had a voice, you know, I mean, that is to say I learned how to speak from them. Yeah. Um, they named me. And then as I make sounds throughout the day, I, you know, especially as I get older, man, more and more, I just, I hear my dad's voice as I talk, I hear my mom's voice. And that's not an obstacle to Mm -hmm. me being me. It's how I am me. Yeah. You know, so we, we have our voice as we resonate. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think it's fundamental to how God has made us to be in the world.
0: Yeah. And I would even add just a little footnote that um I'd add from you, you said theologically and um kind acoustically, of acoustically yeah. but physiologically too. Yeah, yeah. Um there's so many ways that we're constantly in resonance with our Surroundings mm, at a very mm-hmm. um, physiological level that also have to do with, you know, our parents and yeah. um, our histories and stories. and
1: uh. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, I've had a lot of personal experience through some, some of my close relationships with um, autism mm-hmm. and one of the things that is characteristic of many people on the autistic spectrum, Spectrum is this extraordinary sensitivity to sound, mm-hmm. you know, um, and it is an uh, an oversensitivity or an exaggerated sensitivity, but it's one that is particularly debilitating in our world because there is so much sound that isn't kind of directed, conversational sound, right, but is just incidental, environmental... Ambient. Ambient, cluttery sound. It's noise,
0: <laughs> pollution. Yeah, noise, you know? pollution.
1: So I think that's maybe in... Gosh, I don't know. that Now this isn't maybe a great place to land. Um, but... Because <laughs> it's kind of, in a way, but it, I'll just say it's... There's also a dark side to this totally. resonance yeah. that... Um, Particularly, you know, you hear people talk about all the noise, all the arguing, all the angry voices in our culture. We, you cannot, at some level, shut that out. That you are no. made to resonate with that, yeah, um, and that, um, so that the, I don't know, the constant sounding of our culture then also can pose a threat in this the sense if if there is. Mm. Um, you know, not also place for silence, not place for um, for dialogue, because you know, just sort of um, a cacophony of many voices is is different than yeah than dialogue, and that's one of the things again. I guess to bring it back to the antiphonal thing, yeah, that um, you know, an antiphonal song teaches us, right? Again, is that there is a time to speak
0: mm.
1: and a time to listen. And then if you think about monastic life, there's a time to sing and a time to be quiet, you know? Um, So as we are aware of the antiphonal character of our being and the noisiness of our culture, Mm. we have to be careful as well, knowing that we're always resonating to the sounds around us.
0: Yeah. That's wonderful. And then part five, we're going to talk a little bit about, um, what it means that God has made us uh, to resonate and how he invites us to speak. Yeah. um, Oh, I can't wait. In ways that (laughs) here in about five minutes, Steve and I are going to continue to talk. So rich. And you'll hear that conversation a week from whenever (laughs) this one airs. So yeah, yeah. thanks for listening. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for this conversation, Steve. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by The Rabbit Room, where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. And all our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com. And to become a member, rabbitroom.com donate.